Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. We are going to move on to our series on questions, and this is actually number seven. And the question was, what are the signs of his coming? And basically wanting to know, what are we looking for, for the return of Jesus Christ? What are those signs? And so this morning, I'm going to be talking about misconceptions, about the Pope, about childbirth, and about books. A lot of times we hear things and we have a way of thinking about them that just becomes our norm. Did you know that coffee doesn't come from beans? It comes from seeds. We call them beans, but they're actually seeds. What? Right? Mind blown. Thank you. Boom. All right. We'll go on. That Twinkies do not have an eternal shelf life. They are only supposed to be on the shelf a total of 45 days. That's it. And here we thought they were this apocalyptical food, right? Now, which brings us to the last misconception I wanted to talk about is the word apocalypse. When you think of apocalypse, you probably think of zombies and end-of-the-world things. The word apocalypse just means revealing. The book of Revelation is the apocalypsis. It's the book that is revealing Christ. It is a declaring. And there are many apocalypses that have taken place. When Christ was born, that was an apocalypse. It was an unveiling. It was a revealing of God. Christ on the cross was an apocalypse. That was God doing something, revealing something in the cross. The resurrection was an apocalypse. The return is apocalypse. It is something that God is revealing. It is not a doomsday kind of word, but that's what it has become. And so we start seeing these things and immediately our minds go into this way of thinking that we have learned, been taught, watched a movie, read a book, whatever it is, 
has made us start to think things in a certain manner. And so when you think of the word apocalypse, instead of it being something that is ominous, it should be something that is actually enlightening. But you see, ominous sells more books. And so it's very popular. But this apocalypse revealing is something that is taking place. And we should start seeing it in a way that is enlightening and disclosing some of the things that God is doing, not something that is shadowed by doom and gloom. Okay? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Starting at verse 37, you see, when I got this question, what are the signs of his coming? I knew exactly what it meant because in my lifetime, I've grown up in church. I used to go to a small Pentecostal church, and I remember one time on a Sunday, it had to be a Sunday, there was a traveling evangelist who came to our church, and he set up this giant board that just kind of categorized the whole end times to the Antichrist. Now, mind you, this was back in the 70s, okay? So that board would probably look a lot different today because all the things that were on there have already taken place and the end hasn't come yet, right? I remember Ronald Reagan was supposed to be the Antichrist because Ronald, and I forget what his middle name is, but all the names had six letters in it, okay? And so... But then it was supposed to be Obama too, right? And now I'm sure it's Trump. You know, I mean, it's like everyone sees this as, oh, it's the end, it's the end, it's the end, it's the apocalypse, right? It's this kind of terminology. So I've grown up thinking that, okay, the signs of his coming are these events that take place, that the end is near, because that's what we're looking for. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, before we get to that infamous passage, that was referred to, we need a little context. Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not, you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, or blessed blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is actually still a regular Hebrew way of saying, you're welcome. You're welcome here. And, And so Jesus is saying to Israel as he's speaking to them that he has wanted to gather them, but they would not welcome him. He goes on in verse 1 of chapter 24. Jesus leaves the temple, but that's still the topic here. And was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. He answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will 
lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, Jesus goes on throughout this chapter, this long chapter, and gives these various pictures. This first one here is that of childbirth. But I want to ask some questions here. I want to ask first, what did the disciples mean when they asked these questions? What did Jesus mean when he answered them? And what did Matthew understand by it all that he was trying to convey to us and then What does it mean to us or what does it say to us today? Now, the disciples, before the crucifixion, which is when this is taking place, we're not looking for the second coming of Jesus. Let me say that again because this is context. The disciples, when they're asking a question, they are not asking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because as of yet, that wasn't in their mind, him dying and rising back from the dead. That was something that they had not yet understood. Which begs the question, then, what did they mean? If they're not saying, what are the signs of your return? What are they actually saying? What are they trying to get to? You see, before the crucifixion, they're not looking for the second coming. They are actually looking for the evidence of the appearing of Christ. In other words, they wanted to know, when are you going to show yourself as the Christ? Now, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, we see that now the 11 disciples, this is after the resurrection, went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some of them still didn't understand. And this is after the resurrection. What's taking place here is taking place before the crucifixion. They were not looking for the crucifixion. They were not looking for a resurrection, let alone a return. What they were looking for is for Jesus to manifest himself. You know, every now and then we'll have events that take place in our city. If the Lakers win, there's down at City Hall, you know, a big parade, and everyone goes to see the players and to celebrate that. Or if you're Catholic and the Pope's coming, right, it's a big deal. Everyone will go out to see the Pope because this is the one who is actually the head of this church, and we want to see him because normally he's in the Vatican. Normally he's in Italy. He doesn't usually come to the United States, and so when he comes, it's a big deal. We want to see him. At the time that this was written, it was very similar with Caesar. Caesar would live in a distant place, but then when he would come to town, it was like a celebrity. The Caesar is coming and let's go and see him because they would call it a parousia, an appearing or a presence. 
and it would be basically him establishing, I am here, I am the king of Rome, I am your king, and I'm showing myself to you. You see, this is in line with what the disciples are thinking. When are you going to show yourself as the Messiah? Because right now, there's a handful of us. We don't have a home. We're going from place to place to place. Look at this temple. Wouldn't this be a great place to live? Okay? I think we could do really well here. And they're pointing to Jesus, this temple. And then Jesus tells them, that's not how it's going to be. Now, think of this. If they are not saying, what are the signs of your coming and are not referring to the second coming, but are actually referring to his showing himself up as Messiah, think about how that answers some other troubling passages in Scripture, at least passages that have troubled me in the past. One is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Well, they've gone through all the towns of Israel by now. If it means the second coming... He hasn't come. But if it means him establishing himself as the Messiah and it's starting to be understood in the world, then it has happened. Another one in Matthew chapter 16, verses 27 to 28. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, I've wrestled with this passage so many ways. He meant the the disciple John who saw in the revelation the kingdom coming or the next chapter goes into the transfiguration and he's talking about them seeing and you have to kind of use some mirrors to get it to work that way because it doesn't really work. But if it means him establishing himself as the Messiah, then all of a sudden it clicks and then all of a sudden it makes sense. And then as you start going through Matthew, when he says, you know, what are the signs of your coming? And he talks about, you know, these wars and these earthquakes and these birth pains. I just went to the hospital uh, to visit my niece who had a little baby girl. And it seems like the time flew by, at least for me, right? It always does. I don't think Brianna feels like it's flying by right now. She's probably at home right now going, I'm just staying off my feet. You see, there, there's a development that takes place. There's, there's a lot that happens before a child is born. You find out that you're pregnant and you go to the doctor and, and there's this little bit of concern because you know you're carrying a baby, but you want to know, are you going to be able to keep the baby? Is it going to go full term? And so you start eating differently, I guess. You know, you start taking vitamins. You start doing things because you need to change the way you're living because now you have a child inside of you. 
And then it's, you know, exciting at first. And then it gets a little sickening in the mornings, right? You go through the morning sickness. Man, when we had twins, I say we, right? The royal we. When we had twins, man, it was difficult. You know, Corrine got so sick. She was just miserable, you know. And you're there and you're looking at her and like, what's going on? I'm, you know, just it's in your head. No, I didn't say that. Don't worry about that. You know, it's like her body is changing and you know she can't stop what's happening. Then you start seeing the baby and then the baby starts moving. But a lot happens before the time of delivery, before it fully shows up. And that's the illustration that Jesus gives. He he tells us that there is a lot going on. And especially in this time, this picture that he's giving, this day of birth, you see, there was a lot that's going to take place that would make them wonder, are you really establishing your kingdom? Because we believe in you, but we're not seeing your reign. And he talks about this temple that to them was their establishment. This is the the heart of our faith. And Jesus is saying that's going to change. This temple is going to be destroyed. It's going to be defiled. Caligula tried to do it in 40 AD. It ended up being totally destroyed in 70 AD because there is actually a change that's taking place. This is not the temple now. The temple is going to be actually you because of me. But it's not happening like they wanted to. And it's just taking a long time and you're seeing the birthing pains. And that's where we find ourselves is in this pain of waiting for this birth to take place. But you need to understand that it's already changed hands. That the kingdom has come because Jesus has risen. And you have to get your mind around that when you're going through these passages because otherwise what starts taking place is we start putting all of these things into our current events and we take them out of their current events. And then we have the struggles like, you know, no one's going to see death until I come. It's like, what happened? What does that mean? Well, he did come. And it's important that we see that. In fact, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, the whole book of Daniel was a very prevalent book at the time of Christ. There's a lot of documentation that it was something circulated regularly in their period. And in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Now, the clouds of heaven is talking about coming from God. It's talking about this uh, authority that comes, okay? It's a, a very visual picture that's helping us to understand, just like Jesus talks about birth pains, and then he'll talk about fig leaves later on. And, okay, what's he talking about? He's trying to give us a picture of 
what's really taking place. And so the clouds of heaven is talking about from God and it's talking about having a position with God. Verse 14, it says, or verse 13 continues, there came one like the son of man and he came to the ancient of days. I love that terminology for God and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's Nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom one that will not be destroyed. This is speaking of Christ and what he is to the nation of Israel and to the world. He has come from God and his dominion will not change. It will not end. And, and this is important to see that Jesus embraces this prophecy as fulfilled in him. And it's fulfilled, we see, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19. Jesus came, now this is after the resurrection, came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is fulfilling what Daniel spoke about. It's mine. When? When you come back again. No, it's mine now. What are the signs of your coming? I am the sign of the coming. I am the new temple that is going to be Risen, this temple will be destroyed. Mine will rise in three days. Your bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, an apocalypse has taken place. Something new has been revealed. It is God now working through his people. And when does it happen? It happens now. We are pregnant with the Spirit of God working in our midst. What are the signs of his coming? You are. Not Ronald Reagan. Not Donald Trump. You are. You see, we keep looking for something spectacular. And what he's really telling us is it's happened here and now. It's happened through me and it's now happening in you. It is taking place. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Isn't it amazing that he says, all power and authority has been given to me, and then he sends us. Why don't you go? You've got all the power. You've got all the authority. No, it's been given. From him to us. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You want to know what the sign of his coming is? Go and make disciples. That is the sign. And oh, there's going to be hardships. And oh, there's going to be wars. And the early church suffered tremendous persecution. But this is what held them. There's going to be this. That's just the birth pains. That's just what we are going through because it's happening now. You see, when are you pregnant? When the child is born? No, when you're pregnant. 
that's where he's wanting us to go to, helping us to understand. And so then what we want to do, at least I do, and I know you do too, I want to know, okay, okay, that's good, but when will you really come back, right? Because that's what I want to know. I want to know when I can look for that. I mean, when's going to be all these things? And I just can't go into it today. Um, I got to go through the book of Revelation with you guys because there are so many interesting things. Just like this, for example, this destruction of the temple and, and Matthew chapter 24, uh, one is taken and one is left. How many have heard that that's about the rapture, right? Okay. Or pray that your travel not be in winter and don't go back to your house, but leave and flee, right? Okay. Okay. If, if it's a rapture, why would I go back to my house if I'm raptured? Right? What, how does that, that mean? Well, of course I'm not going to go back. If you're going to take me, I'll just go. You know, I'm not going to wait. Hold on. Let me go get my shoes. You know, I mean, it's like, what, what does that mean? It just seems so disconnected. But you see, there's a misconception of what it means. And so we go to the misconception. It's a coffee bean when really it's a seed, but I still call it a coffee bean. Apocalypse is just an unveiling and revealing, but I still think of zombies. But then when you start seeing what happened at the time when Jesus spoke this at around 30 AD, and you have this incredible destruction of the temple at about 70 AD, where millions of Jews were killed and dispersed, And then you have Matthew at about maybe 90 AD writing backwards, talking about what Jesus spoke about. You see that so many of those things clearly fit what he talks about in Matthew chapter 4. Why would you have to run? Because Rome is coming. He talks about vulture circling. Eagle and vulture was the same thing. The, The Romans had the eagle signet on their marching when they would come in with their armies. There's so many things that just talk about, you know, he's prophesying what's going to happen to the temple and to Jerusalem. And he's telling them, hope it doesn't happen in the winter. Just take something and go. One will be taken, one will be left. Why? Because one is going to be grabbed and taken into that kind of enslavement. The other will be able to get away. It just starts to fall into place and go, oh, that's real clear. But it's not very sensational. I can't write a book about it. And make it, well, you could. Actually, it would probably be a very good one because it'd be accurate. But it's not sensational like what we've been told. So when is it going to happen? You see, there is no doubt that Jesus is returning. I believe in the eminent return of Jesus Christ. What I don't subscribe to is the immediate return. And there's a reason why I want it to be eminent and not immediate And it has to do with our focus. In Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, the disciples now ask him again. So the time had come, they asked him, Lord, will you now this time restore the kingdom, what, to Israel? Okay, now? Is it going to happen now where you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Why? Because to them it was all about that nation they still hadn't understood that the nation has changed owners. It's no longer this place. It's now this people. And this people is all people. God has created a new humanity in Christ. 
So they're still holding on to, are you going to now do this? Are you still now going to restore the kingdom to Israel and listen to his words, mark them, and let this be what guides your future? It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own eternity. Underline that. Memorize it. It's not for you to know. So next time they put a date out, say, well, we're supposed to know the seasons. Hmm, what does that say again? It's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has put into his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You see, you're worrying about what's going to happen and how is this going to affect us here and now in this time. And he's saying, don't worry about that. That's not your concern. You're going to have power and you are the ones who are going to change Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You're supposed to change the world. That's your focus. Not when is this going to happen and fix this all. No, you're supposed to be the fix that God is doing in the meantime. Stop worrying about when it's going to end because you have power to be in it. And that's why I am so upset when we get focused on when does this all end? I just want to go to heaven, right? I understand the hardship, but you got to understand that Jesus did not call us from the world. In fact, he didn't pray that we would be taken out of the world in John 17. And he sent us in as lambs among wolves. I send you. When you start to read a book, I'm reading this book and it's like over a thousand pages long. And I I mean, I've got a little concept of what it is, but I don't know where it's going. But I like the beginning. I'm about 300 pages in. And I, I like the beginning. And it's, you know, it's when you think 300 pages in, you still got, you know, I still got 700 pages to go. But I'm like captured by it. I, 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 I'm trusting that the end is going to be good because the beginning is amazing. And I'm kind of going to the middle, and I can't wait to see what's happening, but I trust that it's going to have a conclusion. has to. But I don't want to go to the conclusion without going through the book. When I was younger, we used to go to the movies. This used to drive me crazy. We'd go to the show, but we'd get there late. And so we'd miss 20 minutes of the movie. And then they'd say, it's okay, we can watch the beginning again. It's like, why do I need to watch the beginning? I know it's going to end, right? (laughs) It's like that defeats the whole purpose. And you see, we're doing that same thing. I want to know the end, but you don't understand. You're writing the book right here in the middle. He's coming. But right now, you have work to do. And you shouldn't be focused on the end. You should be focused on what's being written right here, right now. Because otherwise we choose to escape instead of participate. We choose to remove ourselves from this instead of establish ourselves in it. 
and we miss the opportunities that are here. What are the signs of your coming? What's the end of the age? What age is he talking about? The age ended when the temple came down and the new temple went up, which, by the way, is you and me. That was the end of that age. This is the new age. When will he physically return? That's not for you. You don't need to know the days or the seasons, but here's what I'm telling you. You will have his power to be able to change the world. Worry about that. And stop trying to be sensational. Years back, I gave a teaching on the return of Jesus. And I gave a list of all the reasons why it was going to be happening, I felt, really, really soon. That was 16 years ago. All those reasons that I had, that I believed in, some of the scriptures that I even read that I thought differently about have come, have gone. I can remember going to a college campus with a pastor one time and him talking about, and this had to be in the mid-70s, and him talking to this college campus and saying that Russia was going to invade Israel that year. And one of the students said, you want to bet? And I remember thinking, oh, he's challenging him. And he said, I'll bet your soul or something like that, right? And it sounded ooh, ominous, right? <laughs> but the truth is, the student was more accurate than the pastor. I, I can remember hearing the first Gulf War that Iraq, because it is the old Babylon, was going to humiliate the United States in the first Gulf War. From a very prominent pastor, one I, I still respect a lot of what he said. Didn't happen. And it seemed like I kept waiting for these things to happen. And I kept waiting for these things to happen. Yeah, okay, yeah, but you know, it's like, don't, you know, say he's not coming because, you know, when you do, it's like, I'm not saying he's not coming. I'm just saying, why are we keep setting dates that are wrong why do we keep focusing on things that seem to just be missing the mark in such huge ways the european common market the 10 nations well now there's like 17 what do we do with those horns right you know how does that fit in the revelation you know it's like these and we'll keep shifting and shaping and we keep missing the point you don't need to worry about the day the seasons that's not the focus And I believe most of what is being revealed in the book of Revelation has to do with the church that John was addressing. John, who was a poet. John, who was trying to give help to those people who were suffering intense persecution and to us who go through persecution today. Because the church is still suffering. The church still needs to go through the birth pains. The church is still going to have wars and rumors of wars. And we still have to hold on to this hope. We need to recognize that now Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
And when you want to know when his coming is, look at what's happening in you because you're the evidence. The kingdom of heaven is a reality and we're going through the birth pains. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that of all the things I shared, there would be clarity that you have come, that you have died, risen, and are coming again. But what you want us to focus on is what you are doing in us today. God, I pray that we would not be looking for a way out when you are sending us in. That we would not be waiting for when this is all over, but we would be waiting to be put in the game because we have the ability to make a play, to be able to continue in this change. That we would be the ones who are going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are the ones who are carrying this message of hope without looking to get out of here, but looking for all the opportunities that there are around us. And God, there are so many. There is such division in our own country. There is such hurt in our own country. There are so many people who are in need of you here as a well around the world. Lord, may we not pause. May we not stop and relax. May we understand that you have sent us in as sheep among wolves, but you have empowered us with your spirit. And Father, may we take that and run head on into what you are doing today trusting what you will do tomorrow. Thank you, Lord, for again the hope that you have given us that is enduring, that is not based on an event, but it is based on you, Christ, alone. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. We'll close in a song. I have only touched to scratch the surface, but I hope... I've at least challenged you to think about some things differently. I'm not saying all the ways I say are right and all the things you've heard are wrong, but think about how this fits into some of those areas that maybe you've held on to. Maybe some of those scriptures that didn't make sense to you will start actually becoming a little bit more clear. But most importantly, see yourself as a part of the game, not waiting to be benched and set to heaven. Let's sing a song. I want to leave you with a scripture. It's Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Here's the childbirth, the pain. For your sake, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Think about that. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. What is lacking in Christ's affliction?
affliction? Good question there. According to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. May the hope be seen in you. May you also make up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Not that his suffering wasn't enough, but his suffering now continues through us to the world around us. For this we have been called. May you go boldly in the power of his spirit. Recognize you bring with you the kingdom of heaven. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. See you at the baptism, 1.30. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.